was a dumb idea anyway. I mean, you wouldn't have helped the team much. I mean, you were great when you were nine, but girls reached their peak athletically about that age. Probably haven't picked up a ball in two years anyway. Give my love to your mom. Don't be such a stranger. Hey, Boilermaker. Yeah? Got my curve breaking two and a half feet. Oh, yeah? Then you have been practicing, huh? Now, don't give me no baloney about a curve breaking two and a half feet, though. For how much? Ten bucks. Make it twenty. You got a bet. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empathy Machine Podcast. I'm Andrew Ford, and joining me as always... Is Josh Ickes. That, that's me. That's a him. That's a him over that, there. That, that's a me. <laughs> um, well, welcome. Yeah, so we, uh, we're done temporarily with the Alien series, and now we're moving on to, I guess, two movies that are about as far from the Alien movies as you can get. I don't know. You, where, where do you think... How many uh, degrees of Kevin Bacon are we removed right now? From, I mean, uh, we, we stayed in the 70s uh, for the most part, to, to start with here at least. Mm-hmm. And I, I think also that these films are, by and large, considered good to great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not that far. Okay, all right. Well, there we go. I stand, I stand somewhat corrected. Well, we're going to start off talking about Slapshot from 1977, directed by George Roy Hill. And then we'll end up talking about Bad News Bears from 1976, directed by Michael Ritchie. So are you, do you want to launch into one, or do you kind of want to give an overview of why we picked these? Because you sort of helped me pick these, because I've never seen them. Why these two, for me? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think that is the explanation of why we picked them. <laughs> I thought it would be kind of cool for us to use the podcast as a springboard to jump into films that we haven't gotten to check out yet. Mm-hmm. but that everybody else in the world has. And you already had the the great list on Letterboxd, which we should do something about like social media and how sharing these things and tracking these things, you know, affects your viewing of them uh, mm-hmm. at some point. But you had this great list and you had both these films on it. It immediately struck me that we needed to do a 70s sports movie doubleheader. So that's how we wound up with these two. Yeah, and I, I think in some ways these are two very similar films. Obviously, like uh, they're released around the same time, and in other ways they are very, very different. So I guess let's let's go ahead and let's go ahead and jump into it with Slapshot. How's it going, Nick? I'm drunk. Nah, I'm not bullshitting you. Got stinking shit face on the bus. Louise left me, and that son of a bitch over there keeps playing me when he knows I'm shit face. Jeez, I'm really sorry. Anybody throws me against the boards, I'm gonna piss all over myself. The the premise for Slapshot, if anyone isn't familiar, is uh, in the small New England town of Charlestown, the local mill is about to lay off 10,000 workers. The town's minor league hockey team, the Charlestown Chiefs, is doing no better. After years of failure, this will be the team's last season. Exasperated player and coach Reggie Dunlop, played by Paul Newman, lets the Cubs' recent acquisitions, the Hanson brothers, play. The brothers' actively violent and thuggish style of play excites the fans, and Dunlop retools the team, using violence to draw big crowds. So that's the general setup, and I guess you can kind of understand now 
why like how this fits into sort of the 1970s cinema it's not the sort of broad crowd pleasing comedy you might expect from a sports comedy yeah it's there's a a lot of time spent with kind of the more downtrodden elements of both uh, uh kind of the town itself i mean it's brought up over and over again that the town was like going down the tubes mm-hmm. and also kind of the drudgery of the life of these professional athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they spend their time watching soap operas and game shows uh, when they're not on the ice. There's, there's not a whole lot else to do. The whole movie is just kind of like steeped in malaise, if not downright depression, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's almost a kind of a claustrophobia to it, to the, the, just how like they're locked into their like there's like an incestuous nature to the fact that they know the players like they had no stories about all the players and all the teams in the league everyone has like a backstory that everyone seems to be aware of it kind of gives this vibe of like i don't know like you kind of like you kind of can't escape this you know rut that everybody's in did the other example another example is uh, paul newman's wife work runs a, uh, a beauty parlor in the town Mm-hmm. And her ex-wife, and she's not too fond of him, uh, especially. And it's kind of unclear whether he's trying to like win her back or, or after a certain point, it seems like he's not. I don't know. I had a hard time getting a handle on his character in this. I'll be honest, because I love Paul Newman, and I I do not lay the fault for this at his feet at all. But he's just a it's he's a very unlikable, probably the most unlikable character Newman's ever played. I would say so. I don't have a hard time with his character getting handle on his character because I don't know. I feel like you just get a really good idea of who he is and he plays it wonderfully. But I think that his motivations, I don't understand. And I think a lot of times when we're talking about movies, that's what we take as character, right? Is like Mm -hmm. the motivation and the driving passions of them. And he really seems to be pretty morally flexible and, Mm -hmm kind of doesn't seem to know what he wants but he goes after it with gusto and so relating to him as a person like as you know someone i recognize in the world that level worked mm-hmm. there's a reason you, you don't put everyone you meet into stories <laughs> it gets muddy and this plays much more like like a slice of life movie than a traditional like sports narrative story i think i believe you said that it it wants really bad to be an altman film Mm -hmm. can you talk a little more about that because i thought that was really interesting so there's a handful of actors including paul newman who worked with altman before uh alan nichols i think alan f nichols technically um he had he had worked with him i believe he only did robert altman movies and this it was like a weird like i looked him up and it was like a perfect couple nashville i think uh one other one, I was like, wow, okay. It's just very interesting that it, it, it scans in the film as a little bit chaotic, but it seems like it's trying to be a MASH type film. It's aiming for that kind of anarchy, you know, that sense of like madcap, uh, somewhat satirical, sly, crass, you know, fun. For for me, the fun wasn't there. That there, There's a, I would say MASH is probably admittedly one of Altman's like more cynical, it's a little more cynical than a lot of his movies, mm-hmm. just like very like dark humor, like very, very like a lot, a lot of times bleak. I mean, the theme song is that suicide is painless. Right, right. So, 
you, you, you know, there's a level there, but there's still a warmth to it in the way the characters treat each other and the way like, they, you know, when you're kind of in the group, everyone likes each other. And if they don't like each other, they like, they find a way to get you in line or get you out. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. That's not the best explanation of, of warmth, I guess. It's also but, not the best explanation, MASH, no true. offense, but. That's true. No, uh, <laughs> it's not. I think I understand what you're going for. Yeah, like the characters all are fun to hang out with and you don't, they don't present a viewpoint that you, I mean, they kind of, when they present a view, I don't know. It's hard. We're not talking about MASH. Let me be clear. I haven't seen it in a while and I wasn't prepared to, to fully go in depth, but <laughs> obviously the thing about Slapshot is like the, the parameters of, of the, the league aren't especially established because the standings aren't important. Like you said, it's not a traditional sports film. And so the stakes are kind of fluid and ultimately revealed to be like kind of not really applicable after a certain point. Um, yeah, but that's kind of skipping ahead, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm a little tripping over my words a little bit. I don't know why I had some tea and it's allergy <laughs> tea. Well, so I don't know if that's supposed to make me feel good. I had a lot of bee pollen in me right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just loaded up with pollen. Yeah. It's funny though. Cause I, I think I can actually kind of sense you, wanting to go off the rails just because of your personal like show notes that you made and your review on letterboxd it's i can i can tell that <laughs> like you're pushing back against this movie so hard even though uh, i think you gave it three and a half stars on letterboxd is that right three or three and a half well okay yeah it's like it's like ebert said don't look at the rating read the review okay but the thing is i mean <laughs> For what it is, I think that it's largely well made. Mm-hmm. It, it ticks all the boxes. And we've kind of been dancing around it. You said crass, unlikable, that kind of stuff <laughs> earlier. Let me put it in this form. Is this the most racist or uh, homophobic movie that you've seen? I mean, it's got to be up there, right? I, I don't know. Like, okay, I want to be clear. Like, I'm not the PC police coming in. Uh-huh. I really like MASH has problems with that too, very specifically. Uh-huh. For anyone who hasn't seen MASH, there's going to be a little bit of spoilers here. But in MASH, there's a sequence where someone, uh, there's a, a dentist in the camp named Painless Pole, is his nickname, because he's Polish, which is its own kind of, I guess, I realize now. It's a, it's a, it's a double entendre. It doesn't just, it's not just yes, a racial yes. slur. <laughs> um, so oh, he, oh, uh, yeah, so he, he, um, he thinks that he's gay because he can't, he's worried he's gay because he can't get an erection at one point. And then he decides he's going to kill himself and everyone in the camp is like, well, we're going to help him then. And they act, they act like they're going along with it. And they stage like a mock funeral and they like a last, or they have like a, a fake last supper. Well, I guess it's a real supper, but it's a fake last supper. <laughs> and then they, you know, they, they're going to, he's going to go through it and they're going to bury him and, you know, whatever. And then what they do is they end up logging him in a room with like a couple of like pretty young women and, and it all works out because he, and he realizes he's not gay. And everybody's like, yay. And it's like, that's, that's problematic. Like that wouldn't, that wouldn't fly in a movie today. I don't, I, I don't doubt, but, but Slapshot is so like so much of the humor is built in homo is, is rooted in a, a homophobia that's not just it's an insidious homophobia and that it's like a wink at the audience like this is so ridiculous and you're you're with me on this right the sort of like 
you know where we're coming from. It seeks complicity from the audience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Does that sound weird? Does that make it, does that make sense? Yeah. No, it, it does make sense to an extent. I feel like it's kind of winking to the audience, right? Like mm-hmm. saying, we all know that these guys are dumb because this is how they talk, right? Right. But also it wants to have its cake and eat it too, I think. Yeah. Because it can be read either way. And looking through his filmography, I saw that George Roy Hill also had directed The World According to Garp, which is one of my favorite movies. Watched it probably when I was too young because it has a lot of themes. Um, (laughs) And I haven't watched it in a while. So maybe now that I've progressed a little further, it won't seem as progressive, but it seemed incredibly progressive and incredibly humane. Mm -hmm. And so taking that and looking that that's the same guy that made Slapshot where, I mean, he said a lot of the humor is based in these uh, like homophobic slurs and kind of little diatribes the guys go on, but it's not even humorous. Like, right. For me, it's so problematic. It, it doesn't even get close to walking that line where I'm laughing at it, but I feel bad for laughing at it. It's way over on the side of, no, I, I would not be around these people. I wouldn't hang out with these people. I wouldn't want to be around them. If I was drinking in a bar and they were next to me, I would leave. Mm-hmm. I am problematically empathetic. So anytime people are getting picked on, it's it hurts me. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that it really takes away from the film. And if it had been kind of more at that level where at least it got me laughing, but then made me feel bad about it, that gives me more to think about. This mm-hmm. makes me want to dismiss it more because of the way that these guys are presented and the way that this worldview is presented. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, though. A lot of things can be forgiven if they're funny. And it yes. isn't funny. It's hard to imagine when it would have been funny to me. Like, it, it scans as, as meme. I'm jumping into this set, uh, bit a little bit early. I know we had talked about it a little bit beforehand, but it's it's uh-huh. the equivalent of, like, it's like Trump making fun of the disabled reporter, you know? It's mm-hmm. like this sort of like, there's, there are people who think that, that should, it should be like, if you think something is weird or if you think something is different, you are allowed to make fun of that person. And that's your right. There's people who believe that in this country. Right. It's wrong. When you do that, you deny someone else their agency by, by doing that. That, that, that's what that does. That hurts people. You know, you're infringing yeah. on others' rights when you do things like that. That's all that is. So yes, hate speech and stuff like that is protected, but you you know it's not illegal to be a dick, but don't be a dick. <laughs> I think not only don't be a dick, but the uh, the the thing that you just said and that struck me while watching the movie that this movie hits me as something that is genuine and I think sincere in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but it's also problematic with its view of not only homosexuals, but also women by and large. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, always kind of struggle with the idea of uh, depiction versus endorsement of ideas. Mm-hmm. And normally I come down on the side of uh, that an artist can depict what they want. And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that they're endorsing it. Like, you know, I don't think Scorsese actually goes out and shoots people or takes copious amounts of drugs anymore and <laughs> expensive cars into things and then walks away and doesn't feel remorse about it. I think that those are things that he's exploring and I didn't get enough of 
that side of things here to make it okay for me. It didn't give me enough uh, to chew on. It didn't really give me any other viewpoints. There, there's no character that speaks differently than these things. We're, we're kind of supposed to side with Michael Ankin's character. Aunt, mm, Aunt Kean? Uh I think so, yeah. Sheriff Truman <laughs> from <laughs> Twin Peaks. Twin yes. Peaks, every episode, nailing it. <laughs> yeah, I think we're supposed to see him as the good guy of the team, even more so than Paul Newman, who you know does despicable things, but supposedly for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a point in the movie where Paul Newman, not di- to the child directly, but to the child's parents, uh, utters like a homosexual uh, slurs that I'm not going to repeat here. <laughs> and, you know, I'll swear like a sailor if the mood strikes me, but no, it is, it's incredibly crass and over the top. And I was questioning myself when, when I was watching it about just what you were saying with a lot of people not having a problem with Trump mocking the reporter. Everyone on the left, and I don't want to speak for you, but in, including me, I'm on the left. <laughs> so I'm going to say us, everyone on on this side of the aisle, I think, was immediately horrified. Mm-hmm. You see something like that and you think at the very least that person needs to be chastened and come out and say, hey, the thing that I said was wrong and I'm super sorry. And then like you might get one of those during an election season, but you pull two of those and you're done, right? Because it, it establishes a pattern and Trump already had a pattern of that. And he continued his pattern of that, and he does to this day. And every time that happens, I feel like everybody, all the progressive liberals, like we kind of clutch at our pearls and we fan ourselves. And we're like, oh, no, no, oh, oh. And then we kind of gleefully say, oh, he's never going to get out of this one. And, of course, he does because I feel like a lot of the, the people on the far side of the aisle – are the people that are depicted in this movie. I I don't think that these words and speech means the same thing to them. They don't understand how it hits. They don't understand that if you call a, a young child a homosexual, you're not just insulting the child, and not even in the way you're trying to, but you're actually insulting an entire huge section of the population by trying to use their identity as as a slam as a diss mm-hmm. and so whenever somebody gets offended by that they they you know say that you're being the pc police or whatever and it's i don't know i feel like if i could understand this movie better and be more sympathetic to it i might be able to be more sympathetic to super conservatives i'm reading a lot into uh, a hockey film i think but <laughs> it's the track that it sparked me down so I don't know, did you have any similar, like, real-world kind of connections? Yeah, well, specifically, just to focus on that one scene where he he, he uh, uses the slur against the woman's son, who's not in the... I mean, he's not, not that it makes much of a difference, but he's not on screen. Like, it's not directed at him, like, in person. Right. It's just a slight against him, you know, to her, and she she's horrified by it, you know? That's, like, his last word, like... That's the moment in a movie where it's set up as the protagonist getting the last word and, and leaving with, you know, he doesn't get what he came for ultimately, but he leaves with, he still gets that, that dig in. He still has, 
it's, it's supposed to be an implication that he still has his dignity. He's still fighting. He's still angry. He's not letting her get out of this scot-free. And it reflects poorly on him that he uses that as an insult. Like, it's just, it right. really, and it really just under, it undercuts that moment where you should, you should be most with him. Like, at that moment in the movie, I was with him because I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is like the moment in the 70s movie, like, where it's about, you know, the state of the economy at that point, the way that business works. And it's like this guy who's like down on his luck. He's played a sport his whole life. Like he, he knows the game inside and out. He knows the business of the game. He talks to the, you know, and then he finally gets to talk to the owner of the team. And the owner's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of spoiling the movie here, but she basically says like, like, hey, I mean, it's not really about the plot in case you're wondering. But uh, she, she, she basically says like, look, it's, I, you know, I, if I uh, sell the team, I don't make as much money as I do if I just fold the team. So I'm just going to fold the team and write off as a tax write off. Right, which is a very very Trumpian thing to do, if that, to continue uh, to maybe confuse the comparison a bit. But no, I don't think that confuses confuses at all, actually. <laughs> but I absolutely respond to you know what you were were seeing in there because it is it's supposed to be like his James Bond mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not quite uh, Daniel getting up from the. Uh, the mat to do the the crane kick, mm-hmm. but it's it's close to that kind of a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it feels. I think it's supposed to feel very similar, and it gets the legs cut out from underneath it, and it doesn't feel like it's on purpose. It doesn't feel like it's in a way that's supposed to be instructive to us as the audience. It just feels like the filmmakers thought that that was cool at the time, <laughs> and that yeah. absolutely makes it like not cool. <laughs> And I think that's what's really fascinating about this film in particular, because I can't think of any... And we're going to talk about another one in a minute. A film made, at the same time, a sports comedy. I I can't think of any other film from this era that's lasted as as long, you know, with as much cultural cash as Slapshot still has. That very clearly, that that trades in this kind of humor, in this this level of humor, by making light of... of, by being homophobic. And right. acting like, every, of course, it, it just makes sense to be homophobic because they're weird. It's like, no, it doesn't make sense, you crazy movie. <laughs> like, why are you the only movie from this time period that acts this way? And But it, I still, I still <laughs> acts this way like it's a person. <laughs> why do you have to be like this slap shot? No, I, I, but I was just going to go along with it. I loved it. <laughs> George Roy Hill also did Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Did uh, The Sting. He did, he did great movies. And he did the world according to God. I would venture so far as to say he is not in his personal life. Probably he probably does not hate gay people. I don't think I, I'm pretty sure Paul Newman doesn't either. Just to be clear about that, I, I just think at the time it was considered culturally acceptable, and they went for a laugh, and they thought they were just going for a harmless laugh, you know. And it, it wasn't to me. It's just it's not harm. It's just it feels mean spirited. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know. And I, I, but I, I don't. I'm not saying that, that they intended it to hurt. I just don't think they were aware of it, or they chose to ignore it, which is what people do when they when they do when they say things like this. When they say things like, "Well," and to to go a little to get back to David Fincher a little bit. Wait for it. This is good. Okay. Like, when you know people, you know, like me, people on the left, people like me and Josh, when we. Hey, don't don't speak for me. I don't speak for you. Okay, well, I don't want to speak for you, but well, okay, when we when we say that you know this is uh, offensive, or we say something's offensive, and then people on the far right would would say, "Oh, you're just being a snowflake," 
which is an expression from, I believe, I don't know if it originated, I think it originated either with the book or the film Fight Club, which is a movie making fun of the people who are calling people snowflakes now. This kind of, to, to an extent. Yeah. So I think it's interesting how, I mean, these are also the same people who, who co-opted the Matrix and talk about this red pill, like weird shit that I don't really fully understand, like Gamergate stuff. That, which is cool, let's be targets, I guess, if we become popular enough to be targets and people get mad at us for this. Cool, go for it. But The Matrix was made by two transgender women. Good, good, on, good on you for, for saying that you, love, you think they should be offended and then co-opting their work as your own. <laughs> Yes. Way to go! Like, I mean, no, no one who thinks like that is is has any kind of is trying to have any kind of perspective. No, and boggles my mind. I'm, with regards to be, becoming targets, I've got to pull out the the Hamilton quote here. Mm-hmm. That I love it when I come across something that perfectly encapsulates something I already felt and says it in a much better way. <laughs> There's a line in Hamilton where he says, "What is it? I'd rather be divisive than indecisive." Yeah, that's. I would rather, uh, you know, be hated for what I am than uh, love for what I am not. That's. Um, I've got that streak in me. So, yeah. you know the the uh, the dinner table scene in Whiplash when he you, goes. And, okay. You remember okay. when he has dinner with Paul Reiser's there, his dad's there, mm-hmm. and the the other kids. It's like apparently family friends or something. Mm-hmm. And the other kids are are collegiate football players. Oh yeah, I remember that. And he's just like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, and they're all laying into each other the whole time, and his dig is basically like, I'd rather be well, dead at twenty-seven and people still talk about me <laughs> than yeah. forgotten, which is what you'll be. Something along those lines. <laughs> so uh, that's another one of those though that hit me right where I live because <laughs> it speaks to the uh, the snottiness that I still feel about being righteous about so many things, yeah. but. I do think, since we're wandering a little far, probably a good time to switch gears mm-hmm. over to something that probably won't be nearly as controversial, The Bad News Bears. Directed in 1976 by Michael Ritchie. Pickle, why don't you find us that synopsis there? One final word on Slapshot. Oh, God. I do think that now is maybe not the best. I think time will be kinder to it because we'll eventually it will stand out more clearly as a relic of the way people used to act. And right now it's just a remind, like right now I feel like we're still in danger of regressing back to that. And I feel like that's why I have a hard time with it personally. That totally makes sense. The Bad News Bears, 1976. (laughs) (laughs) Hard drinking ex minor league hopeful Morris Buttermaker, played by Walter Matthau, grumpily agrees to coach a little league team at the behest of lawyer councilman Bob Whitewood, who has a vendetta against the league for excluding his marginally talented son from play. After failing, I, I love that. Sorry, just aside, I love that the synopsis insults this kid. That's really yeah. good. After failing with his new team of misfits, Buttermaker enlists feisty and gifted pitcher Amanda Wurlitzer, played by Tatum O'Neill, to lead the charge. But can he find the luck and patience to whip these outcasts into shape? I don't know, Josh, can he? Well, it depends what you mean. <laughs> so, this movie, directed by Michael Ritchie. Let's see. Michael Ritchie had a lot of big movies, a lot of, I would consider, classics and hits. As a matter of fact, I would say maybe 69 through 77, mm-hmm. like an eight-year run there of Downhill Racer, The Candidate, Prime Cut, Smile, Bad News Bears, and Semi-Tough. Yeah, that's 
that's an incredibly solid filmography. So he pretty much killed the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then later in his career, he did the two Fletch movies, which I like. Yes, even Fletch lives. Mm-hmm. Also, The Couch Trip, which is kind of a forgotten classic. And Digstown, which I'll be talking about a little bit later in my advanced studies section. You recently had seen another Michael Ritchie movie, isn't that correct? Are we talking about Prime Cut? Yes. Yeah. Well, so I, I didn't see it recently, but I've seen it. Okay. I, I mentioned it because I was thinking I was considering doing that as my advanced studies just because I love it so much. But yeah, Michael Ritchie's a very interesting filmmaker. He's sort of like George Roy Hill directed a couple of Best Picture, at least one Best Picture winner, a couple of Best Picture nominees. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of acclaim, box office critical critical acclaim all, all, all around. I don't think that Michael Ritchie ever quite achieved that level of success until maybe Fletch got there. But he's like really, really good. <laughs> like a lot of the time, and actually more recently I watched Downhill Racer for the first time. And that was a really interesting movie with a uh, young Robert Redford kind of, well, I guess concurrently with uh, Butch and uh, Butch and Sundance, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's very interesting, very different kind of role and very like, I don't know, Michael Ritchie had kind of, to me, he uh, typifies a very, he typifies like seventies American new wave cinema in a very particular way. He's sort of like the journeyman of that in a way of that like class of filmmakers, but yeah, that's exactly the the term that I was going to use. He's very good. <laughs> like as, as a journeyman of arguably the best group of filmmakers to emerge, you know, concurrently in the medium of film, at least up to that point, the journeyman in that class is going to be really fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I do think that comparing this film with the with Slapshot, they examine a lot of the same things. They both kind of have this uh, slobs versus snobs element going on. Mm-hmm. They both talk about that class of, uh, you know, the haves versus the have-nots and that kind of stuff. But you would get the idea that Michael Ritchie is much more of a glass half full guy. Mm-hmm. Based, you know, just just on these two films, um, it, it's still very sharply observed, and I don't think he pulls any punches. And there are some great, I mean, some of my favorite like nineteen seventies stuff going on in this movie. So it's funny because I don't think this movie also sets out to make a whole lot of you know straight down the line like political points but it it lands quite a few of them just by being sharply observed about the nature of you know sports and sportsmanship and i think greed and motivation in the 70s and and both of these films i think say a lot about masculinity in the 70s as well oh absolutely i think this film ultimately like it's I mean, not that not that nothing happens till the end, but I think ultimately it hinges on a moral split between Vic Morrow, who coaches the Yankees, who are uh, the, the the bad guys essentially, and uh, and it's Walter Matthau, who coaches say, the Bears. I heard you say the Yankees twice. The, the <laughs> Yankees who are the Yankees, because that's I all see. you need to say. I see. <laughs> I forget. I forget sometimes. <laughs> the, yeah, the movie hinges on that moral dilemma ultimately like how you're going to play the game how you're going to you know how you're going to teach the game and what matters to you as a coach of a team you know like it's it really highlighted for me some interesting things about just baseball as a sport and i don't mean to just because i didn't like slap shot i don't mean to you know just throw hockey out the window completely like it's not it is not a stand-in for the sport uh, but 
I, w- I will say, I think baseball is the only sport that prizes the teaching of diligence and patience. Yes. I think this is a film that kind of, it gets to that point by the end where it's like, yeah, we might not win, but everybody's going to get a chance. You know, we're going to get, get a chance to go out there and, you know, show our stuff and, you know, we'll, we'll get it. We'll give ourselves a shot, but you know, it's not about whether we beat this other team today. You know, it's about what we learn going forward because that's ultimately like he basically adopts by Mathau's Buttermaker uh, adopts, uh, adopts a, a, a more teacher's mindset by the end of the film. And I think Vic Morrow's characters kind of is just lets the competition get to him. And I don't know. There's a lot more to it, obviously. I, I sort of jump to the end. I do that. Yeah, I you do. You, that. you go, you, you step way into the deep end. I get excited. Yeah, you get so excited. It's cute. It's cute. Um, <laughs> but that is where they end up. And Buttermaker's, Walter Matthau's arc through the story it's so slight and yet genuine that it's almost unnoticed. Like it seems like such a natural progression. There's no like big moments that it hits, you know, where the music really swells. Mm -hmm. There's a couple scenes that are a little bit on the nose, especially with him and uh, Tatum O'Neill, but they're also really good at that age. Tatum O'Neill was one of the best actresses. I mean, there's only a few child actors that, can kind of hit a range of stuff. And I think both she and Jodie Foster were known at this point in time for being able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. And their scenes together, they're just so good and quippy and charming. And they both play world-weary travelers, basically. And it's mm-hmm. fantastic. But sidestep my own self a little bit there because... I wanted to use that to ask you about the child actors in this movie. Like Slapshot, this winds up being an ensemble because it's a team picture, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have all the kids on this team. What did you think about how they work together and how they kind of portray their their characters? I think there's obviously the elephant in the room here is that this is a film that also uses racial slurs. Occasionally, yes, it adopts the same kind of like just telling it like it is tone that your granddad likes, right? Right, not speaking for you specifically, it's just kind of a you know, the royal granddad, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, yes, very specifically. You know, you never hear these coming directly from Buttermaker, they're only they only come from him, these racial epithets, when he's repeating something a kid's saying or using it to make a point, right? It's a very interesting comment on culture at the time. And I think Richie's very slyly, you know, satirizing the people who would use these words. It, it does seem much them. more intentional than what's on display in Slapshot. It seems more intentional and it seems like it is meant to be shocking coming from the kids' mouths. Mm-hmm. But also this movie draws such a line between how these parents and their adult figures act and how the kids act. Mm-hmm. that I can't help but see that as an indictment of their parents and their upbringing, you know, or their their lack of parents. I don't think any kid except for, who is it, Whitewood? Whitewash? Yeah, Whitewood's uh, kid. Yeah, Whitewood's kid. Do any of them have parents? <laughs> I mean, they're in the stands, I think. Yeah. and I know Kelly Leak doesn't have any. Okay, isn't Kelly Leak's dad the coach in the sequel or something? I think I read that somewhere. We're not talking about the sequel, but. <laughs> I gratefully don't know that. <laughs> and as far as that goes, Buttermaker is their their father, essentially. Mm-hmm. He kind of begrudgingly 
at first takes these kids on, but I really love the the fact that we find out that Walter Matthau was hired by this guy. He's and he's a lawyer slash politician of some stripe mm-hmm. in the town. He's a bigwig. He's a he's a big muckety muck, <laughs> and he's basically paying off. Walter Matthau, who was a, a minor league, kind of never was, to spend time with his kid. Like, hey, go put my kid in Little League because I'm over here being a big bad businessman. Mm-hmm. It's pretty early on when they want to fold the team after opening day. Yeah, it's after the first loss, which is after like, the, yeah. It's it's 26 to zip, I believe. Yeah, something like that. When Walter Matthau calls, 26 to zip in the top of the first inning. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, beautiful. I guess they didn't have the mercy rule at that point in time or something. I remember some Little League rules. I think you have to wait until you get to like the third or fourth inning in a short game okay. where you can actually implement the mercy rule because both teams at least have to get a chance to bat. I know that. Unless they forfeit, which I believe is what happens. Yes, that's how yeah. he just gives up and the kids are all disappointed. Worse than that, the parents are disappointed. <laughs> Whitewood wants to shut the team down because now it's an embarrassment to him. Mm-hmm. And you very quickly see how much of it is about image and his own power. And that's kind of what we see coming from the adults over and over again is th- they're worried about themselves. They're not worried about the kids. Mm-hmm. They're worried about how it reflects on them that these things are happening. But in that scene, he gives Mathau a check and basically tells him, okay, well, go, go call it off. Here's your last payment. You can tell the way that Mathau looks at that check and then immediately goes to the kids who also want to quit, and he talks the kids into playing. And when that doesn't work, he berates them into playing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just something about the fact that I, I don't know what the the division would be, but he's not a very good guy but he's a great man and i think that that kind of gets back to your point about baseball and and the morality that's so strictly tied to it i think that is true i i do want to also commend madhouse performance because he takes a character that on the page could be kind of i don't know kind of cliche or like even cloying after a certain point or Mm -hmm. obnoxious you know it could have gone the other direction and just been too crass and unfeeling but you know you really get a lot of when when he uh there are moments where he like lashes out at the kids Mm -hmm. and there's you know a lot of the time like the difference from just when he's like trying to coach he's like yelling at him like do this right but there's like a moment specifically between he and uh, tatum o'neill's character where uh he lashes out at her because she's trying to get closer to him and have like sort of a father-daughter relationship that they never really had or that they had had once that they didn't have anymore and he just rejects it. And he just, you see like a, a woundedness in him. It reminded me a little bit of Lewin Davis, honestly. Oh, yeah. I can definitely see that. I actually thought of that as, you were, as we were talking. And I was like, huh. It's a very different, tonally, it's a very different kind of film. But that character, you know, just kind of pushing people away and not willing to, like Lewin, the same way Lewin doesn't really open up. Or it takes him a lot to open up. It's totally a trope of characters like this, right? That they do this kind of thing. So much so that it's used in the the new guardians of the galaxy movie mm-hmm. that same personality except for here it's never really called out in the same way that it's used you know later on in cinema 
we just kind of watch it happen. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down on my notes here that he he seems to react so strongly because he feels too much, as opposed to these other the other adults who are disconnected from their kids. Mm-hmm. You get the idea that Buttermaker has never really fit in anyway he was a minor leaguer that didn't go anywhere and now he cleans pools he can't keep relationships going his car is amazingly ridiculous <laughs> he's he's not an adult he, he doesn't fit in really in the adult world and you kind of get the idea that all he really wants to do is still be playing baseball or still just be on the ball field if it's coaching or whatever mm-hmm. because he doesn't seem to have any zest for anything else <laughs> in life and it really seems to me like the whole movie even though it's about a kids baseball team and this man who I almost think of like Judd Apatow movies cuz he's like stuck in his glory days right he's not he hasn't mm-hmm. moved on he hasn't matured in a lot of ways but for being about these kids it's an incredibly mature movie and not just because of the language, mm-hmm. but because of the the interpersonal way that uh, all the characters relate to each other. You didn't really answer it. You know, keep it to an elevator pitch. What do you think of the kids' performances in this film? I think they're very strong. Like, especially, there's a very unique uh, character to the kids' performances that they, they, they kind of all get, I don't know, like, it's interesting because if I just watched this film, I think I would have been like, yeah, they're fine, you know? But I actually watched the remake that Richard Linklater made, and there's such a clear difference in the performances. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because there's a naturalism to this film, even though like like they're a little heightened, like uh, right. uh, Engelberger or Engelberg. Yeah. He's, a, he's a little bit yes. of a heightened character. He's also taken a fair like uh, plenty of shots about his weight. Pretty, he's wearing those pretty well. Like he's not. Yeah. Like, I would think, you know, that's not an easy thing to do or to hear every day. It's not easy to be insulted about your weight if, you know, if you know you're overweight and then to have it be played for jokes in a, in a movie. But I think the, the remake, the, they're playing it very broadly. They're, they're mm-hmm. kind of, they're sort of like the kids, the, 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 the indie, indie film Kids Curse where they're hyper-intelligent, you know, miniature adults. A lot of the time, right. like, there's, there's a very knowing... It's almost like they're in on the joke a little bit, but in this one, it's like they're they're you know uh, guileless. I guess would be a good word. They were without guile. <laughs> yeah, and there's something about the way that they all they they all talk over each other, and they're all like in a scrum the whole time. Mm-hmm. But between the two movies that we watched for this, I saw more individuality in the characters in this movie than I do in Slapshot. Mm-hmm. which it seems weird. <laughs> I would think that, that that movie would give its characters a lot more to do, but everyone is is much more broad, I feel like, in that movie. Like, oh, this guy is wacky. He's French-Canadian. Yeah. These guys, we didn't even talk about the Hanson brothers. That's true. And we didn't talk about Michael Ankeen's striptease at the end <laughs> <laughs> and how that fits into it. But I do think that this movie, Bad News Bears, for me, probably it's right up there with the best sports movies. It teaches the lessons of a lot of those sports movies, but in this other package. Mm-hmm. You know, it teaches the kids to keep going and keep trying. And really, that's the only the victory, the only victory that you're going to get. And kind of like in a nihilistic way, kind of a you have to make your own meaning out of this because the man's always going to screw you over kind of way. <laughs> Which, once again, isn't that far from Slapshot. But I 
I want to live in this world a lot mm-hmm. more. I want to hang out with these characters, even though I'm pretty sure uh, Kelly Lake would beat the crap out of me today. <laughs> that kid could. Well, I think it's interesting you say you want to live in this world because I feel like the difference between these two films is this is closer to the world we do live in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I do feel bad we didn't talk about the Hanson brothers because they don't, you know, they register as car- you know, car- caricatures. Like, they register as they're certainly unique in that film. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's an implication that, they, that they're, like, very, like, infantile in that and, like, childish and kind of cling to, you know, they're very, like, uh, arrested adolescents, basically. And there's, there's that's supposed to be there's some sort of charm. There's, I mean, Paul Newman out and out says that they're, they're mentally challenged and everyone kind of treats them as such. Well, yeah, they, they do throw that word around, too. Yeah. Although I don't like the expression ableist. Like, say that a movie, I've seen that, like, the movie is ableist and home of, I'm like, Ableist, I don't, I don't, we got to come up with a better word, but it's just rude. We can call the movie rude. <laughs> the Bad News Bears, like, it has a, an inherent morality to it that I think mm-hmm. is very compelling and, and still holds true. I just really like the movie and I want to gush about it and I want to, like, make all the connections, like, between all these other different movies and different types of, uh, you know, j- just talk about baseball. I could talk about baseball. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, not a mistake that it, uh, this movie is about baseball. I don't know as much about, like, obviously, I talk about baseball a lot with you, and we play fantasy baseball. But what's, like, in terms of sports, like, where do you stand just generally? And what do you think makes a, a good sports movie? How much of it is about, you know, which sport the movie's about? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You tell me. <laughs> wow. So, I don't know. I, I do, I tend to think, that for me personally, the the ones I respond to the most would be uh, baseball movies and boxing movies. Mm-hmm. One lends itself to individuality and striving for your personal best at all times. Mm-hmm. And baseball, it's about teamwork in a way that even other sports, I think, don't reach mm-hmm. because it there is so much patience. It's a long season. They spend a long time together. Mm-hmm. These dudes like do everything together and you you have to kind of constantly be checking in with the other guys in a way that other sports just don't just don't have not to say that there's not great combinations especially like in basketball i think mm-hmm. and you know great quarterbacks and receiver combinations too and maybe it is because the game is slow that it seems like you have to get to know the other people a lot more also, baseball allows for a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. There's something about that, about I think just the, like you said, the, the morality of it, but also the culture of baseball. The fact that even every major league diamond is different. You know, the, the, that's still a lot to be part of the game. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot fewer regulations on those kinds of things. And there's something that makes it quirky and I think more relatable that way. Plus, it's it's as American as baseball. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned boxing as well, because I feel like in on different levels, uh, boxing and baseball are probably the two sports in real life that or they most closely approximate like life. Like they kind of mm-hmm. contain the most life lessons because like they are the most like the actual experience of living your life day to day. Baseball is mm-hmm. mostly about failure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's yes. You, like uh, the best hitters will, will not get on base six times out of 10 and they won't get a hit seven times out of 10. And right. that's just how the game works. You know, the best pitchers will still give up two or three runs a game, no matter what. 
And I think boxing is kind of raises that to like sort of a mythic life or death level a little bit. Like, I think right. that's very interesting. Uh, you're you're going to get hit. Yeah, exactly. Like you got to learn to take your punches. Yeah. And that's full disclosure until a couple months ago, I had not seen any of the Rocky movies from beginning to end. I had seen, you know, large swaths of uh, Rocky one mm-hmm. and I knew all about it. I've, you know, read about the movie quite a bit but i watched it and it was pretty much exactly what i thought it was going to be in the best possible way mm-hmm. and then i proceeded to watch all of the other movies over the next couple <laughs> of weeks and yeah they were delightful and fantastic and or ridiculous <laughs> depending on the entry i like the one where rocky isn't a bum anymore and he's a rich guy and he's got a robot yes that's insane. I like that. That's the thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I feel like you told me at one point that you just recently had watched all the Rocky movies and you'd never seen them before. And I think it just, I just, uh, like my brain didn't process it. So it's like uh-huh. I'm hearing it right now for the first time because right. you also just went to Philadelphia and ran up the Rocky steps. Yes, yeah, so that's totally a thing. And then I, I bought a shirt too. So. <laughs> I think the Rocky films are also yeah they're 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 kind of incredible especially every, if you follow the whole series I rewatched them all before Creed came out mm-hmm. with my brother and my dad and that was that was awesome. Well, and it is the fact that as you were just talking about you know the that there's a lot of life lessons in baseball and boxing the Rocky movies I mean it's one of the hallmarks of the movie is Rocky giving or getting inspirational speeches repeatedly mm-hmm. and they're pretty much all fantastic mm-hmm. and i do think that at the end of bad news bears it's a very rocky like ending mm-hmm. and that their whole goal becomes to just do well in the game it's not to win mm-hmm. they just want to survive <laughs> pretty much mm-hmm. and the fact that you still respect the other opponent both mm-hmm. of those sports really have a have a lot of of that they're still also your comrades you you acknowledge that they're out there fighting along with you and i really like that aspect of it so i think we've by no means have exhausted either of these movies we probably <laughs> could go on for a while but yeah do you have you know a takeaway do you have a, a talking point a lesson from each of these flicks that, that you can give the folks so my main takeaway i think so i had one thing for my slapshot takeaway on here but i think i'm just going to change it to my takeaway for Slapshot is try to be mindful of the humor you're attempting to mine. Just so George, let's be let's be clear here. George Roy Hill is, was not a screenwriter, at least right, not in this right. case. Right. The script was written by a woman whose husband had, had played in a hockey league like this one. In I real saw life. husband and I saw brother in different places. Really? So, okay. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Played which. by a, a cl- close acquaintance of <laughs> the screenwriter. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, because those are very different. Thanks. Yes. And I believe her name was Nancy Dowd. Yes. If I'm not wrong. So she should get credit for, I mean, like I said, it's a very sincere depiction, I feel like, despite it being problematic. So mm-hmm. but go on with your takeaway. Well, yeah, it is, it is very sincere. Yeah, just be careful. if you, When you're making a comedy, be careful of the, the jokes that you in, include. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, just, just be aware of, you know, the fact that, like, it takes a long time to develop a, a good sense of humor. It's why a lot of kids' movies suck because they just go for that like lowest right. common denominator, you know. Right. So it's it's not it's not an easy thing to do, but 
the, I guess my I guess my takeaway for slap shot, and I'm going to sum it up very quickly instead of just you know hedging and whatever. Be mindful of the intent behind your jokes. That's all. I'm going to go ahead and do my bad news bears takeaway. Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. The, bad, my bad, the takeaway for the bad news bears is that the moral arc of the universe does bend toward justice <laughs> because I think time is revealed. It has stood the test of time, and we are talking about it. And we are praising it, and people watch this movie still. And they always air it on the MLB Network, and it's great. And yes. there's an MLB Network, you know? <laughs> there's a, a whole network for baseball, and the sport of baseball is doing better than it ever has. Teams are, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but baseball, have you, have you seen they, it? Baseball, it's, you guys. It's pretty great. But on the, on the other hand, I feel like as much as we've talked about Slapshot having a lot of cultural cash, and it does, it doesn't have the amount, I, I think, it doesn't have the amount that Bad News Bears does. Obviously, we're watching them both concurrently and, and can see the differences between them. But I feel like just as a culture, we are starting to move past Slapshot, ultimately. Mm-hmm. The Bad News Bears is our better angels, I think. I, I love that. <laughs> it sounds like it's your an incredibly pretentious you know, finals paper or something. Well, I mean, the movie ends with a shot, a very, very pointedly ends with a shot of the American flag over the ball field. So I don't That's think... true. I think we're... I think we're we're in the right ballpark here. If if you follow, uh, if you follow, uh, uh, yeah, what, what, what are your uh, what are your takeaways for these two films? Mine for Slapshot is very similar to yours, and it's depicting of something versus the endorsement of something. I brought it up in the in the main body of the review, mm-hmm. but I I totally think that that's an important thing to understand and to try to err on the correct side of make sure that you are endorsing the ideas that you want to endorse and not accidentally putting stuff out into the universe that you want there to be less of. And I'm totally not a person who's going to shy away from violence or sex or whatever in a movie because it shouldn't exist at all. I think that's a ridiculous thing. These things have their place in art and they have good rhetorical value. They, they make for good conversations and they can make for fun entertainment, but just try to understand which side of the line that you're on and make it clear to the audience, I think. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do something, give us more to chew on than just the fact that it seems like all your characters are pretty terrible people. <laughs> and No, no, Mind for the Bad News Bears ties into my advanced studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both Michael Ritchie movies. I think it's mostly the idea of how you perceive yourself. And how mm-hmm. your characters perceive perceive themselves. My advanced studies is Digstown, and it's a con man movie. It's kind of like The Sting, mm-hmm. and it's all about not all about, but a lot of it is these fronts that different people put on. And in Bad News Bears, they're going from thinking they suck and shouldn't be allowed on the ball field to realizing that yes, they should. They're valid as people and as athletes. And at least at that level, they should be able to get out there and play and have fun. And everybody on the team gets a chance at that. Everybody gets to play their inning. Mm-hmm. And I really like that all of the, our characters get to know who they are better and I think better fulfill themselves by the end. And in Digstown, our main character, played by James Woods, knows who he is through the entire movie, but it's revealed to the audience a little more and more just how slick of a con man he is, but he understands himself 
And therefore, even though technically he is a criminal, he's the guy we root for through the entire film. Mm -hmm. And I picked this as my advanced studies for for this week because it has the Michael Ritchie connection. But also, ever since I saw it, you know, back in the early 90s, it has felt like a 70s sports film. (laughs) And it totally has this this vibe of like, I don't know, something like The Sting, obviously. The setup is that Lewis Gossett Jr., at age 48, mm-hmm. is going to fight 10 men in one day in this small town. And everybody from the town is eligible to come fight him. You know, they're going to pick their 10 best men to bring up against him. Mm-hmm. And through all manner of, of hijinks and manipulations on both sides, you know, they're, they're trying to set up the best odds. And you only find out through ancillary characters just how bad the the town is, just how corrupt the town and basically the guy who runs the town, how how bad off they are. And it's another slice of the haves versus the Mm have-nots, which I feel like Michael Ritchie must have a a PhD in (laughs) because he touched on it so many times throughout his career. And it, it brings up for me memories of... Not just Bad News Bears, but several of his movies. Clearly Fletch, because of the con man mm-hmm. angle, but also the candidate of mm-hmm. um, someone being put into a position and then just kind of having to run with it throughout the entirety of the plot. And I, I really like that. And that's Lewis Gossett Jr.'s character kind of gets pulled into this whole, into the shenanigans against his will, but then he's game for it. And he, and he just goes... And it's really, it's a lot of fun. It also, to me, felt very 70s in the fact that for this, you know, light-hearted sports slash con man film, there's a lot of, like, heavy shit in it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple deaths. There's, you know, family intrigue. There's the guy who's bought up the whole town who's played by Bruce Dern and is just phenomenal because it's Bruce Dern. Mm-hmm. And the right-hand man of James Woods is played by Oliver Platt in just one of the Oliver Plattiest performances, I would say. He's he's snotty and bratty mm-hmm. and clever and just punchable in a really charming way. And it totally fits this movie. I need, I need to see this movie. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And I felt like the, the heart behind it of, you know, you might not be doing the right things, but you're doing it for the right reasons was very similar to what I took away from the bad news bears. It's one of the, one of the lessons that I took out of that. Cause I don't think it's the right thing to throw your second place trophy at the first place team, <laughs> <laughs> but I totally get why they do it and I applaud them for it. So that would be mine. Yeah. Just if you haven't seen it, I think Digstown is really under, under seen, probably mm-hmm. underappreciated. It is, Early hard to find at the moment. I wasn't able to find it on any streaming services or Blu-ray or anything. So go out to McKay's and find it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a McKay or a CD warehouse type place or movie gallery where you can go pick up physical media still, you should be visiting those places occasionally anyway. But So I'm advocating both for late stage Michael Ritchie movies and physical media, I guess. <laughs> As soon as I saw in the in the thread what your advanced studies was going to be, I kicked myself because I <laughs> thought it was pretty damn perfect. Well, okay. First of all, uh, movie gallery does this still exist? I just want uh, to throw that out there first. I I don't think so. 
Okay. I thought, because I know there's like one video re- video store in Nashville that were in like Hendersonville, but it's like, like it used to be a movie gallery, I think, but it's not anymore. Anyway. Um, there's, there's a family video. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was up near there today. Okay. Well, for everyone who doesn't live in Nashville, that was pointless, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but I don't either, so I feel your pain. My takeaway is uh, Richard Linklater's 2016 film, Everybody Wants Some, which to me serves as kind of, interestingly, a, a spiritual successor to the Bad News Bears, as well as a better version of something that Slapshot was trying to do, which is to present a sort of uncomplicated, warts and all view of masculinity, I guess, like hyper-masculinity and uh, competitiveness, uh-huh. maybe. There's not a ton of competitiveness in Slapshot. They don't really care about winning. But uh, I think everybody wants some is, is maybe not immediately the first thing. Like People don't immediately look at it and think it's a sports movie, maybe. I don't know. It, it is at least uh, somewhat about a college baseball team. Uh, well, it, I think uh, it was so so hyped as the spiritual successor to Dates and Confused. Yeah. That, that that became most of the narrative around it rather than, you know, actually what the movie was itself. Which is frustrating because I don't, I mean, people forget because it, we've had the, you know, the benefit of, high, you know, all these years have passed since Dates and, Dates and Confused came out. But the first time you saw Dates and Confused, you probably didn't realize it was dazed and confused, you know? Right. And I think a lot of that happened with Everybody Wants Some because, you know, I walked into it the first time I saw it in theaters. I went to see it and I was like, this is fun. You know, it's kind of nice. Like, it's it's charming. You know, it's, I laughed a bunch. Like, I I sort of like the characters. Like, it's interesting. And then I I rewatched it. I, like, uh, took it home at one point to show it to my brother. And I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, started because he should probably see it. And it's got baseball in it. And we both like baseball. So I'll watch some of it. I'll probably go, you know, downstairs and do some other stuff. And I was like, no, I'm, I have to watch the whole thing because it's amazing. It's just so good. The characters are so just like winning and rich. And it really captures a lot about the college experience, you know, about going to college and stuff and like, you know, kind of trying to take the next step in your life. But it also, you know, includes baseball as a catalyst as a, as a, or as like a, a metaphor as like a, for that progression like you kind of have to you know crawl before you can walk you kind of have to pay your dues on the team before you can you know work your way up to being like a player and a starter it's just it's it's very interesting there's a hierarchy there there's like a competitiveness and it's it it captures the competitiveness of baseball i think maybe better than bad news bears we've talked a lot about how good bad news bears is and how good the ending is and how in the ending the victory it's like the moral one that he you know puts all his kids on the field even though he doesn't and he essentially loses the game but doesn't care right because he, he played it the right way which is a, a loaded sentiment now for different reasons for major league baseball when people say play the game the right way they mean they mean other things now but <laughs> but but what's interesting like i, I don't I don't want to be one of those guys. Like, I also think there's something, there's a problem with giving everyone a trophy too. I don't think, like I got the sportsmanship award, you know, when I was playing, playing little league baseball, but I didn't deserve shit. Right. (laughs) I got it several years when I really didn't deserve it. There is competition in baseball. It's like there's an all sports. And I think it it gets sort of the, the ultimate conclusion of bad news bears sort of undercuts that, but then everybody wants them. It's like, like amplifies it. Uh, There's competition in every aspect of these people's lives, of these characters lives. Like, not, not only when they're playing other games like ping pong and stuff. It's not just that. It's like when they're doing a practical joke on each other, they're like, okay, we'll do this and we'll one up it and do it on the other person. Or when they're, when they're uh, trying to, you know, go pick up girls or, you know, there, there's a, a competition there throughout. 
And I think it's very interesting to look at it compared to Slapshot because there's one character specifically and everybody wants him that feels like he walked in out of a movie like Slapshot. And okay. he's a very broad, like, sort of caricature of... And he's used by the movie Everybody Wants Him specifically to undercut that mentality of this kind of, like, tough as nails, like, hot shit. I'm going to talk a big game and I'm going to, you know, be a hard ass and, you know, just be difficult and walk with a swagger and all that stuff. And you have to, like, earn it and you have to be a team player. It's just a wonderful movie. And Richard Lee later, obviously, maybe not obviously... Remade the Bad News Bears in 2005 uh, with Billy Bob Thornton in the Walter Matthau role. And it was a little, uh, it's one of those remakes where you wonder why they remade it, in my opinion, because they recreate very, like, the plot is so similar and the beats of the sequences are so similar. Some of the jokes Mm -hmm. are very similar. It's not quite like a Gus Van Sant trying to remake every shot from Psycho remake type deal, but. It's very, I mean, there's, there's some cosmetic upgrades in terms of the humor. And when I watched that, I was like, man, I'd love to see what Richard Linklater did, you know, would do if he could make his own baseball movie. And he, the, he, he did. I forgot that he did. And I remembered. <laughs> and uh, if everybody wants some. I would also say just one more movie that he made that I think is also very interesting and really gets at a lot of what I love about baseball. Even though as a documentary, it's really kind of, Boilerplate, like, I wouldn't say it's exceptional as a work of documentary filmmaking. But uh, it's a movie called Inning by Inning, and it was made for ESPN in, I think, 2008. It's about uh, the Texas uh, baseball coach. Te- uh, what is it? Well, college is the Longhorns. Why am I blanking on it right now? The University of Texas or Texas? I think it's University of Texas. Anyway, the, uh, Augie uh, Garrido, he also coached at Cal State Fullerton, um, and he's one of the... He, one of, if not the winningest coach in college baseball history. He's won five college World Series between the two schools he's uh, coached at. And it's just a documentary about him. He, you know, you just watch him dealing with his players and stuff. And it's really, I don't know, insightful. I mean, it's probably best viewed in like increments over like a period of time. It's just, it, it, it's kind of overlong, episodic. You can cut it up, but it's another good companion piece to all the stuff that we've talked about in terms of baseball, sports movies, morality being a good human being <laughs> just right. trying to get through this messy messy thing we call life <laughs> <laughs> uh, so real-time fact checking here okay and probably both be uh i don't know excoriated or oh no or something so texas longhorns yes is the football program at the university of texas at austin okay ut austin yes so I knew they were Longhorns because they do the thing with their they do the Longhorns yeah, with their fingers with the, with the Longhorns. But yeah, we probably should have. I mean, not that we need to know everything about a town before we visit it. I know this uh, is gonna this is gonna be released before we go to Austin because I think it is. Yeah, I think it is, and, and oh. I feel bad about it. I have to eat double barbecue to to make up for it. Oh no. So I did want to ask you a question about everybody wants some, and it kind of relates to, uh, like I said, it's, it's public persona as the, the successor to dazed and confused. Do you think that kind of the double barrel blast of people expecting dazed and confused too, essentially, and link ladder coming off of boyhood, do you think it kind of sunk this movie before it ever had a chance? I'm not sure. I think much, I mean, Days to Confuse wasn't a big box office success, was it? 
Um, I don't think so, but it is, you know, along with Lebowski, I think mm-hmm. one of the ultimate cult films of, of the 90s. Well, yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, I think it, you know, much like that film, this should find a cult of its own. It's tough to say now because I feel like there's a lot more movies being made now, for one. But a natural byproduct of that is more good movies are being made. And uh-huh. so I think it's harder for a film to achieve cult status now than it was over the course of the 90s where people were going to rent movies, people having people over to watch movies more. I oh, think. oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, there was there was a lot more going on there. I thought you were going to take this into the Netflix is ruining movies. Well, no. No, no. no I don't even, don't, I, don't do it. I won't do it. Okay. But that, will, that's a discussion for another time. I will say I, I do not think that. Yes, I, I, I just I, just I, very quickly let me say that. But no, I, I feel like a film we've talked about before, like Green Room. It, how do you even know if that's a cult? I don't know. Like you know, how does that? I know it's only been out a year, but look at like Blue Ruin. Like it's there's word right. of mouth for it, but it's not. It, it's not a movie that snowballs into like you know. I guess time reveals these things ultimately, but it's hard to know with everything that's out there what's really catching on. Right. Other than but TV. TV, you kind of get a pretty good idea. I got the feeling that the the narrative uh, of this, kind of kind of like the Coen brothers do over and over again, mm-hmm. was that, oh, Linklater's on a streak, and then this came out, and it kind of went under the radar a little bit. But I think the, let's see, the one, two, three punch of, of Bernie, then before Midnight and Boyhood, mm-hmm. kind of stepping up the ladder of, like, Bernie was this weird comedy film with documentary mm-hmm. elements. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's people who love the before trilogy and that love to see him like get back to that. And then boyhood was a, a juggernaut mm-hmm. in both, you know, award season and kind of the, the, the popular press at the time. And I hate when that happens. I, I hate when <laughs> somebody gets so high up and everybody puts them on a pedestal. And then when they deliver something that is really, really good, mm-hmm. everyone sees it as a fall because it doesn't meet the narrative that was already established and, and that was running at the time. I can definitely see that. Well, it, and if people want to find out for themselves, it's available on Amazon Prime to stream. Okay, yeah, which you should have anyway. I mean, two-day shipping. Mm-hmm. Find find a student who you're related to and use this <laughs> discount. It's I was about to say, they're not paying us for this, and then but then you threw in the student discount thing. I was like, I don't have to say it. Yeah, no. Now it's clear. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, hack the system. Hack the world. I, I do want to say, I wish I had more to say. I wish I had seen Digstown so I could say more about it because I, I, it really does sound like a good a good companion to both of these films uh, to a certain extent. I, I do want to check it out. It's a movie I, I've watched multiple times and I got to revisit it in prep for this and it made me really happy. It was, it's also one of those that like, I don't know, it feels very comfortable. Kind of like The Sting for me. You have those films where you just kind of like just get wrapped up in it, and it's a it's a nice little blanket. There will be blood is maybe a weird film to have that with, uh, but I definitely do. It just it makes me it makes me smile. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have that with the alien films, so you know. Yeah, I'm not a judge. <laughs> but do we have any housekeeping this week? Um, well, I'm trying to think of anything specific. I know we are going to talk about this independent film from the 70s about a killer shark that did okay at the box office at the time. It seems to have been largely forgotten. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's not a book. 
I've heard actually the book's better than the movie. I heard that too. I forgot about everything. So... <laughs> now we're going to talk about Jaws. We're talking about Jaws, of course. That's what it is. Well, that's going to be unwieldy and freewheeling, so buckle up. Jaws is one of the few movies that lives on my iPad forever mm-hmm. um, so that I can watch it on planes. And it really is like I, I believe on my last trip, I... Um, watched uh mad max fury road and then as soon as it was over i put in jaws (laughs) and um then the other day i was stuck at the doctor's office and i put on jaws (laughs) uh, a couple months ago i had to wait for my uh my car at the the shop and uh i put in breakfast club (laughs) but it's that also lives on my ipad for pretty much forever so uh, but Jaws, you know, it's pretty good, pretty good track record, pretty good batting record. So we're gonna have our our own Jaws fest, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna be down in in Austin probably when that is airing, I believe. Yes, if all if all goes according to plan. Yes, and we're gonna witness Jaws while floating in inner tubes, which is gonna be fantastic fun. <laughs> and I have to say, it's probably a little cheesy, but then again, so was running up the rocky steps, and that made me very happy to do. So, no matter how corny it is, it's one of the most baller things from my viewpoint. So, I only wish we could we could watch it in the actual ocean. That's the only way that could be better. Right, but actual ocean terrifies me because narwhals live in it. So, <laughs> and they 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 are an abomination which should not exist. So, stay tuned for for Jaws. Thanks for listening. Also, we're this is episode five, so if you've made it this far, you're either related to us, or you're 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 awesome, or both. Or both. Yeah, <laughs> we don't we don't want to discount that. But both are possible. <laughs> or or you might have just started on this one. In Correct. which case, you're still awesome. Yes. I still approve. <laughs> Check us out on social media. You can follow me at A488 on Twitter. And please don't hesitate to email us at empathymachinepodcast at gmail.com with thoughts, responses, comments, questions, and or desperate pleas for us to, to stop. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Spartacus. Make sure to rate and review the Empathy Machine podcast on iTunes. You can check out links to my work at the79hawks.com that has my music videos and I think some commercial work and maybe some trailers and stuff up there. Mm-hmm. This right here has been a 79 Hawks production with production help provided by Drew DeVore, our Drew fe- DeVore. fearless fearless editor. Hang on. Fearless editor and yep. fearless editor and officially our sound engineer. Yes. Yes. Drew also does work on the Sirens of Scream podcast, mm-hmm. which you should totally check out for more kind of uh, rambling, fun conversations, more focused on horror. And I believe their most recent episode is about real-life alien encounters. I haven't listened to it yet. I can't wait to. I just got into the podcast recently, and you're on an episode, which is crazy. Yes. I've been Twitter friends with them for a long time, and as soon as I saw that those folks had a podcast together, I had to start listening to it. And I guess I'm, you know, a super fan now. So it's one that I recommend to most people. That are as nerdy as I am. Yeah, well, uh, I've enjoyed it so far, and I look forward to this episode because I'm actually sort of saving it for tomorrow because I know I'll have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. And did did, did you go back and listen to the one about witches about, or the the comic witches? No, I need to do that, don't I? 
Yeah, which you should both listen to that app and read the comic because it's fantastic. So. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with Jaws. Hey, Yankees, you can take your apology out of your trophy and shove it straight up your ass. And another thing, just wait till next year. Yeah!